Section 1 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, February 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. Venezuela, Her Government, People, and Boundary by William E. Curtis ex-director of the Bureau of the American Republics. Along the Spanish main, from Trinidad to the Isthmus, is a mixture of Florida and Switzerland, where one can find within the radius of a single day's journey any climate or scene to suit his taste, from a tropical jungle swarming with tigers and gators to mountain crests crowned with eternal snow. The Andes and the Cordilleras, forming a double spinal column for the continent, split and scatter and jump into the sea. At the very edge of the ocean, within view of passing vessels, are peaks whose snow-capped summits seem to hang in the air. The Nevada de la Santa Marta, 17,500 feet high, affords one of the most majestic spectacles in all nature. Tourists are always incredulous when the peak is pointed out to them, for it resembles a bank of clouds, but they are finally compelled to admit the truth of geography, for clouds do not stand transfixed in the sky, unchangeable and immovable, like this phenomenon. Between these mountains and along the coast are narrow valleys of luxurious tropical verdure and a rich soil valleys which yield three harvests annually and are densely populated coffee sugar and chocolate are the staples of the lower region called tierra caliente hot earth corn beans and other products of the temperate zone are raised upon the mountainsides and higher seven or eight thousand feet above the level of the sea are herds of goats and cattle the population of Venezuela is about two and one-half millions, not including 260,000 Indians, and there are nine states, one federal district, and five territories. The country is still in a primitive and comparatively undeveloped condition. Outside the principal cities, it has made little or no progress since the yoke of Spain was thrown off and the population is believed to be less than it was then. Agricultural and industrial development has been retarded by political revolutions and a lack of labor and capital, but the property of foreigners who do not meddle with local affairs is seldom disturbed, and the government offers liberal inducements for colonization and investment. Manufacturing establishments are almost unknown. There is little machinery in the country, and industry is generally carried on in the households and by the most primitive processes. There is an abundance of convenient water power, but fuel is scarce and expensive. Therefore, the future wealth of Venezuela, as well as her present prosperity, lies in the development of her agricultural resources, which are almost boundless, and her mineral deposits which are among the richest and most accessible. Coffee is the great staple, and the product is unsurpassed. 
it has been the unhappy lot of venezuela to have been the scene of almost constant warfare there is not a country in the world whose history is more stained with blood she is the hungary the poland of south america there is scarcely a city or a settlement within the limits of the republic which at some time or another has not suffered total or partial destruction and scarcely a mountain top from which some battlefield may not be seen during colonial times venezuela was cuffed and kicked about by spain so that her people were in almost constant rebellion and since her independence was established three-quarters of a century ago her political leaders have kept her like an armed camp most of her rulers have been elected by bullets and bayonets instead of by ballots and most of her great men have died in exile to have their bones brought home in after years with tremendous honors and buried under monuments of marble and statues of bronze the president of venezuela is assisted in the performance of his duties by a cabinet of eight members he receives a salary of a thousand dollars a month a house to live in horses and carriages servants and furniture and in fact everything except his food he conducts himself very much like the president of the united states his daily routine is similar and he is annoyed by office seekers to about the same degree he commences business at half-past six o'clock in the morning and often has cabinet meetings as early as seven the government offices open at seven when all the clerks and officials are expected to be on hand no matter how late they were dancing or dining the night before but they knock off work at eleven for their breakfast and siesta and do not return to their desks again until two cabinet ministers are paid six thousand dollars a year and congressmen twenty five hundred dollars without any additional allowances but the sessions do not last more than three months usually so that they may engage in their regular occupations the rest of the year the standing army is composed of five battalions of infantry one thousand eight hundred forty two men one battery of artillery three hundred and one men and one regiment of cavalry three hundred and twenty five strong besides these regulars who garrison the capital and the several forts throughout the country there is a federal militia which is drilled annually and required to respond to the call of the government at any time the rank and file of the army is composed exclusively of indians negroes and half-breeds they are obedient faithful and good fighters some of the fiercest battles the world has ever known have taken place in venezuela with these poor fellows on both sides their uniform in the field is a pair of cotton drawers a cotton shirt a cheap straw hat and a pair of sandals but when they come to occupy the barracks in town and do guard duty around the government buildings they are made to wear red woolen trousers blue coats and caps of red and blue with regular army shoes the officers are generally good-looking young fellows of the best families who take to military service and enjoy it they wear well-kept uniforms have good manners and are usually graduates of the university
the government has established a school of industry for the education of the indian children and every year a commission is sent to obtain recruits for the army among them the boys are taught trades and all sorts of handicraft as well as reading writing and arithmetic and the girls are drilled in the duties of the home when they have reached an age when their faculties are fully developed and their habits fixed they are sent back among the tribe as missionaries not to teach religion but civilization and the indians are said to be improving rapidly under the tuition of their own daughters and sons the chief towns of venezuela are caracas the capital and la guayra its seaport valencia which lies upon a curious lake one of the most interesting of natural phenomena puerto cabello where sir francis drake died and was dropped into the water with a bag of shot at his heels and maracaibo upon the lake of the same name from which we get much of our coffee the chief seaport of venezuela la guayra by name has the reputation among sailors of having the worst harbor in the world it is merely an open roadstead beset by almost all the dangers and difficulties which seamanship can encounter even in calm weather the surf rolls up with a mighty volume and dashes into spray against the rocks upon which the town is built but when a breeze is blowing and one comes almost every afternoon the waves are so high that loading or unloading vessels is dangerous and often impossible between la guayra and caracas is a mountain called la sila which reaches nearly nine thousand feet toward the sky and springs directly from the sea there is only a beach about two hundred feet in width at the foot of the peaks along which la guayra is stretched two miles or so a single street part of the town clings to the side of the monster like a creeper to the trunk of a tree and one wonders that it, the earthquakes which are common there do not shake the houses off into the ocean the distance in a straight line through the base of the mountain would be only about four miles and a washington engineer once made plans for a tunnel and a cable railway but it was too expensive an undertaking over the dip in the saddle is an indian trail about eight miles long and in eighteen eighty three english engineers and capitalists built a railroad twenty-four miles long between the two places which climbs three thousand six hundred feet in about twenty miles and creeps through a pass to the valley in which the capital is situated it is a remarkable piece of engineering and offers the traveller a scenic view whose picturesqueness and grandeur have been extolled from the time the spanish invaders came in fifteen twenty until now humboldt says there is no picture combining the scenery of the mountains and the ocean so grand as this except the peak of teneriffe it is as if pike's peak rose abruptly from the beach at long branch there is nothing indian about caracas except its name and it is one of the finest cities in south america the climate is superb 
being a perpetual spring the thermometer seldom rising above eighty-five degrees and seldom falling below sixty there is not a stove nor a fireplace nor a chimney in the town there is no glass in the windows the nights are always cool and in the daytime there is a difference of ten or twelve degrees in temperature between the shady and the sunny sides of the street in eighteen twelve the city was entirely destroyed by an earthquake and twenty thousand people were killed it came on holy thursday when the citizens were preparing for the great religious fiesta of the year there was not a cloud in the sky and not a thought of danger in the minds of the people when suddenly the town began to rock the church bells tolled voluntarily and a tremendous explosion was heard in the bowels of the earth in a second the city was a heap of blood-stained ruins and the air was filled with shouts of horror and the shrieks of the dying there have been several earthquakes since attended with serious casualties and while the people profess not to fear them they build the walls of their houses three and four feet in thickness and seldom make them more than one story high the people of caracas have an opera supported by the government a university art galleries public buildings that are beautiful and expensive and homes in which one can find all the evidences of a refined taste that are known to civilization while in some respects the people are two hundred years behind our own and while many of their manners and customs appear quaint and odd when judged by our standard there is no social station in america or europe which the educated venezuelan would not adorn their women are proverbial for their beauty and grace and their men for their deportment there is no convenient way of getting from caracas to the orinoco country except by sea of course one can cut across lots and many people armies indeed have gone that way but it is a long tedious and difficult journey and dangerous at times because of the mountains to be climbed the forests to be penetrated the rivers to be forded and the trackless swamps to a naturalist the trip is full of fascination for the trail leads through a region prolific with curious forms of vegetable and animal life to reach ciudad bolivar formerly known as angostura the political capital as well as the commercial metropolis of the orinoco country is neither difficult nor expensive and aside from the heat the journey is comfortable it is like going from new york to memphis by sea however although not so great a distance there are no native means of transportation but you can take of the english french or german steamers and they are usually leaving la guerra as often as twice a week to port of spain on the british island of trinidad at least once a week and generally twice a steamer leaves port of spain for the upper orinoco the time required to make the journey depends upon the season of the year and the condition of the river if you are going during the rainy season that is from the first of may to the first of november you can read ciudad boulevard in three days but during the dry season when the river is low navigation is slow and difficult because of snags bars and other obstructions 
at ciudad bolivar the traveller shifts his baggage to a smaller craft similar to those that ply the ohio tennessee and other streams of the united states and starts onward for the head of navigation wherever that may be it is possible to go within two days journey on muleback of bogota the capital of colombia by taking the meta one of the chief affluents of the orinoco and by passing southward through the casiqua the amazon can be reached few people are aware that a boat entering the mouth of the orinoco can emerge again into the sea through the amazon without leaving the water this passage is not navigable for large steamers because of rapids and obstructions but it might be made clear at an expense that would be very slight in comparison with the advantages gained another branch goes nearly to quito the capital of ecuador and in fact its affluents are so numerous and so large that in all the five hundred thousand square miles of territory drained by the orinoco there is scarcely a point more than three or four days journey by mule from navigable waters and there are said to be four hundred and thirty navigable branches of the river from the atlantic to the andes from the chain of the cordilleras that hugs the coast of the caribbean to the legend-haunted sierra de la parima there is an area as large as the valley of the mississippi and similar in its configuration capable of producing mighty crops of nearly everything the world feeds on and affording grazing ground for millions upon millions of cattle from the foothills of the mountains in which the sources of the river are two thousand miles to the sea are great plains or llanos like those of iowa and illinois almost entirely destitute of timber except along the courses of the rivers where valuable trees are found the scenery for the greater part of the voyage is interesting but as you reach the upper waters and enter the foothills of the andes it becomes sublime but there steam navigation ceases and canoes paddled by indians are the only means of transportation the heat along the lower river is intense but the boats are built so as to protect the traveller from the sun and afford the greatest degree of coolness possible the water is turbid and muddy the banks are low and the orinoco like the missouri often tires of its old course and cuts a new one through fields or forest on either side of the coarse grass and reeds grow tall and toward the end of the season are topped with tassels that nod and droop in the sun at daybreak long lines of pelicans and other water birds awakened by the breathing of the steamer go clanging out to sea and as morning wakens the thin blue mist that nature nightly hangs upon the river rises and leaves the slender rushes that line the banks to quiver in the burning glare toward noonday a breeze springs up which is as regular and faithful as the stars it cools the atmosphere covers the surface of the river with pretty ripples and makes life possible under a tropic sun there is no twilight the sun jumps up from below the horizon in the morning and jumps down again at night 
and then for a few moments the sky the river and the savannas are one vast rainbow livid with colors so spread and blended that the most unpoetic eyes cannot behold it without admiration and awe the smaller streams are sheltered by flower-bespangled walls of forest gay with innumerable insects and birds while from the branches which overhang them long trailers droop and admire their own gorgeousness in nature's mirror majestic trees whose solitude was undisturbed for centuries are covered with decorations that surpass the skill of art their trunks and limbs concealed by garlands finer than were ever woven for a bride masses of scarlet and purple orchids orange and crimson blue and gold all the fantastic forms and hues with which nature bedecks her robes under the fierce suns and the faltering rains of the tropics the only place of real importance the entrepot of all commerce the headquarters of all trade the source of all supplies and the political as well as the commercial capital of nearly half of the republic of venezuela is ciudad bolivar it has about twelve thousand inhabitants representing almost every nation on earth it is built upon a clay bluff about seventy feet above high water mark so that it is in no danger of being swept away during the six months of the dry season when the water is low most of the shipping business is transacted upon the beach the government has concentrated at ciudad bolivar the civil and military authority it has the only custom-house upon the entire orinoco system and practically the only courts the city resembles other spanish-american towns for they are all alike has a number of pretty foliage-shaded squares several rather imposing government buildings a cathedral a public market a theatre a college and the inevitable statues of bolivar the liberator and guzman blanco the regenerator of venezuela the volume of business done there is enormous in proportion to the population as it is the supply point and the port of shipment for a large and productive area within the last few years the exports of gold alone from that little town have been valued at thirty nine million dollars the principal merchants are germans the restaurant keepers are italians and the laboring classes are negroes from the west indies or canary islands ships from all ports in the world land at the piers and the flags of every nation may be seen floating from the poles on the housetops the manufacture of cigars is extensive as excellent tobacco is cultivated in the neighborhood and in almost every household the women employ their spare time rolling the leaves into what are known in the nomenclature of north america as wheeling stogas they are used in amazing quantities by the negro roustabouts and are sent down the river to los tablas from whence they are carried on mule-back one hundred and fifty miles into the interior to the mines the most profitable mine in venezuela and one that is famous all over the world is el caleo situated on the borders of the disputed territory in the state of bolivar about one hundred and fifty miles south of the orinoco river 
i suppose that the richest gold mine ever discovered was the consolidated virginia the mine from which so many of the california mining kings drew their enormous fortunes it is difficult to calculate the output of the old spanish mines in south america but el caleo is reckoned second to the consolidated virginia in the amount of gold produced and i understand that it has already produced more free gold than any other ever opened it was worked by the indians long ago at least its location corresponds with that of a legendary deposit from which the savages of venezuela got much of the gold taken from them by the spaniards but after the latter took possession of the country its existence was a matter of much doubt until four jamaica negroes happened to run across it on a prospecting tour three agreed to sell their share in the discovery to a party of corsicans for a nominal price the fourth negro decided to keep his interest and has always been glad that he did so for within the next two or three years he was able to return to his native island where he has since lived like a nabob at the city of kingston the richest man in jamaica the corsicans when they began to realize the value of the property sent two of their number to england and succeeded in raising sufficient money to build a stamp mill and introduce other necessary machinery but they did not capitalize their company at ten or twenty millions of dollars as is customary in the united states nor did they put any of their stock on the market they issued only thirty-two shares which were sold originally at twenty-five hundred dollars a share cash making their entire capital eighty thousand dollars these shares have since sold for half a million dollars each at which rate the mine would be worth sixteen million but most of them are still in the possession of the original subscribers there is little immigration and labor is scarce most of the miners are negroes from jamaica trinidad and other west india islands they appear to be the only class of human beings who can endure the climate for the land is low and the mines are situated almost directly on the equator the country is comparatively healthy but the rays of the sun are intense and until a man becomes acclimated he is easily prostrated by exposure wood is the only fuel and a very poor quality costs seven dollars a cord some of the mines are within and some without the territory claimed by england but great britain has two gunboats upon the orinoco and at the first possible excuse will take possession of the entire mineral district such an act would be audacious but would be heartily welcomed by the people who would very much prefer an english colonial government to venezuelan rule i have been told by dozens of men americans germans native venezuelans and representatives of other nations that if the question were submitted to the miners the decision would be almost unanimously in favor of england the most popular and populated diggings are on the barima river in the disputed territory where several million dollars of foreign capital mostly british is invested and some twenty thousand miners are at work the colonial authorities of guiana have 
calmly occupied this territory organizing police appointing local magistrates assuming legislative as well as executive jurisdiction providing laws and regulations for the government of the mining camps requiring prospectors to obtain licenses from the colonial officials at georgetown before commencing work and to advertise their claims and locations to the official gazette of the colony these regulations have been imposed by the british colonial authorities within a territory to which they did not claim ownership until the discovery of gold and over which they did not attempt to exercise jurisdiction until eighteen eighty three and as new mines have been discovered they have gradually pushed their frontier line westward until it now includes nearly twice as much territory as they claimed twenty years ago and seven times as much as was ceded to great britain by holland in eighteen fourteen it is true that the venezuelans have shown no enterprise or activity in developing their own resources they have permitted foreign prospectors to enter and occupy the mining districts at their will and have never attempted to exercise police or even administrative control in the mining camps the original prospectors being englishmen naturally looked to the colonial government at georgetown for protection and the other foreigners fell in without a question acknowledged british sovereignty and obeyed british law it was within this disputed territory between the orinoco and the amazon that the ancient voyagers located the mythical city of manoa the el dorado upon which the wonder and greed of two centuries were concentrated tidings of its barbaric splendor were brought home by every voyager and each caravel that left the shores of europe carried ambitious and avaricious men who hoped to share its plunder before their return to spain but the alluring el dorado was not a place it was a man the term signifies the gilded and was originally applied to a mythical king who every morning was sprinkled with gold dust by his slaves the nuggets of gold and the rudely wrought images which sir walter raleigh laid at the feet of queen elizabeth when he returned from his exploration of the orinoco doubtless came from the now famous mine of el caleo but the el dorado was never found no courage could overcome no persistence could discover what did not exist and the fabulous king of the fabulous island still sits on his fabulous throne covered from his fabulous crown to his fabulous sandals with a fabulous dust of gold note the foregoing article is an abstract of a lecture delivered before the national geographic society by mr curtis january tenth eighteen ninety six the lecture itself consisted of selected extracts from mr curtis's book venezuela a land where it's always summer which will shortly be published by harper and brothers End of section one